Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, producer, and sports writer for LSJ. Well, guys, this is Michigan Week, and as a treat for you, the listener, we are doing something new here uh, for Spartan Speak podcast for the first time since I've been here, so it's going all the way back to November 2016. We are going four wide on this podcast it's going to be interesting. We're going to see how it goes. I can't promise that we're not going to talk all over each other, but uh, there's a reason we have four wide, and we'll kind of talk about that later. I, I will go around the quote-unquote room here and introduce everybody uh, one by one. Up first, a man who sent me a cease and desist letter after I said I wanted to record the podcast at 8 p.m. instead of noon. It is Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer, Chris Solari. Chris, how you doing today? I mean, if you don't mind screaming children <laughs> being put to bed at 8 p.m., that's fine. Although the screaming children are at home today, so if you hear them, it's not me this time. Um, not this time, at least. It's the kids, maybe. Probably not. Let's see how we, let's see how this four-man booth goes, because it might be me screaming by the end. Um, very, so what you're telling me is we're getting screaming kids no matter what time, whether it's screaming kids or screaming adults. Yeah, you're also you're also assuming that I'm an adult here. Come on. Up next, uh, a man who is is or is not. I can't tell if it was a joke on Twitter. Competing with ESPN College Game Day and the Fox Big Noon kickoff with his own uh, pregame show. It is Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Graham, how you doing today? Of course, I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing well. It is good to have the, the, the you know, when you say four wide, it's, it's seriously wide. Uh, these are wide shots. In fact, <laughs> the video we do this on, we had to order the upgraded uh, pro version just to be able to fit all of us into the uh, into the shot. That's a little too truthful, Graham. It, uh, it hurts a little bit. I, uh, I tweeted about this last night. I had to, uh, it wasn't really a sprint, it was a jog. I had to jog like 80 yards to try to catch a Williamston player, a soccer player, to talk to him before he disappeared in the locker room and... Uh, I was out of breath the entirety of the interview I was talking to him, and uh, not, just not a great sign for my for my overall health in general. Just add it to the, the extensive list of uh, of issues. Is there video of it though? No, as far as I know, no. And I hope it stays that way. And uh, that voice you heard is the fourth man on the podcast this week. Uh, he's made multiple appearances uh, during this football season, and uh, I think he did last week, or excuse me, last year as well, when it was just him and me for the most part. But uh, just when he became an integral part of the podcast, he is going to be departing us here at the Lansing State Journal. Uh, it is sports storyteller Nate Atkins. Nate, how you doing? Doing well. No, it's uh, it's an honor because I recently, like three weeks ago, got on a podcast with Graham for the first time. I think two weeks ago on a podcast with Chris for the first time. And now one of my final acts here is to get all of you in the same room 
and I had to get a new computer from works in order to fit all of us on the same screen. So oh. it's a big, big deal today, and I'm honored to be here. I, uh. I think the bigger issue here is the fact that you were on a podcast with Graham three weeks ago, me two weeks ago, and then you entered the transfer portal. Right. I mean, it's almost like, well, I mean, hey, man, what do we do? Yeah, that's true. I uh, thank you guys for, for contributing to my life decisions. <laughs> are, are you the are you the Kenneth Walker of the third of this podcast, or are you the Kalon Gervin of this podcast? <laughs> I like to think of the Kenneth Walker, so I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to an undefeated team, but this team will also stay undefeated because that's just how good everyone is. So, <laughs> now Wake Forest, Michigan State, no one lost the Kenneth Walker deal. He's just bouncing between amazing programs like everyone thought. Yeah, just both Michigan State and Wake Forest, both undefeated, just like everybody predicted at the beginning of the season. And at the Pinstripe Bowl. Everybody knew where those two programs were going at the Pinstripe <laughs> yes. Bowl. Yes. That's why they put in Yankee Stadium. I mean, they, they only reserve <laughs> the best for that. All right. Well, the, as everybody knows here and listening to the podcast, it is Michigan Week. Uh, it is already, I mean, it feels like this has been building up for the past two or three weeks, especially for the four of us who are on social media quite a bit. And, uh, I guess I kind of wanted to start by kind of taking the temperature of where everybody's feeling about about this week. We didn't really get any controversial comments from Mel Tucker or uh, Jim Harbaugh in the, in the press conferences regarding this game, so a little more tepid in that regard than I think that we've seen in the past couple years. Uh, Chris, I just wanted to, how you, how you feeling about this week? Well, there are a couple things that I think that are at play here. Uh, first, I think this buzz started um, a while ago when everyone started to realize, wow, maybe these teams end up undefeated when they meet each other, you know, by a while ago, I'm talking like a month ago. It's not like before the season, everyone thought this was a possibility. I think about a month ago, it started to kind of snowball towards this. Then Michigan has their bye week. All they talk about is the, all their fan base talks about is the Michigan state game because I mean, let's face it. There's one gimme in the big 10 this year probably is, is playing Northwestern. And then Michigan state has the bye week and everybody's, talking about the Michigan game. Um, so I think that, you know, that schedule setup is partly the reason. I think obviously the obvious second reason is the fact that the, these two teams haven't met in the top 10 since 1964, and they've never met at this late in the season unbeaten, um, which is, of course, going to amplify things. And I, But I think the third and, and hidden thing is the fact that nobody was at the game. I think there were 600 people at the game last year in Ann Arbor, and it was all family and friends. I mean, you take a year away from this rivalry, uh, that's just going to really get people on edge, maybe more so than than ever, um, particularly when the circumstances are and the stakes are as big as they are right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is there are dynamics at play. There's so many dynamics that make this game fun and interesting. And one of them is that I don't think either side has a clue that their team is better. And, and like, you, you know, you get some natural trash talk on there and it's mostly historical jargon and just people generally being poking the other, but it, there's no confidence behind it. There's an uneasiness, but there's also a hopefulness, right? It's not, you know, there have been years covering Michigan state, and being around Michigan's program, where one of the sides thought this could not go well for us, and there was an uneasiness, but there wasn't a whole lot of hope. Maybe a you know hint of optimism. There's a miracle, right? There, I mean, there's legitimate optimism for both sides that they're the better team, that this is going to go well, that they're going to win the game, and yet 
I, I think neither side feels good about it. Neither side is sure. Both sides are ready to medicate themselves Saturday night if it goes poorly. Like, I just think it's um, – it, it, that dynamic, I don't know, is ever – you know, I, when people talk about the stakes of the game, I think both sides have had big stakes at different times. But I think in terms of that dynamic, it, it makes it a little different maybe than than we've had. Just to kind of dovetail off what you said, I think they're, the fan base is particular just as, as wary of – their 7-0 start being exposed as fraudulent as they are of how they will come out of the game if win. I mean, Nate, what's your thought on that? Yeah, it's a great litmus test for both teams, and I think there is this little bit of nervousness where if one team comes out and gets kind of manhandled, it'll kind of be like a reality of sort of, yeah, you started 7-0, but the first really good team you played kind of sits you back to earth a little bit, and then after this is when the tough games start for both teams. Or they, oh, we'll see if Penn State's still a tough game, but obviously Ohio State's on the schedule. And this is just where it starts to pick up for both teams. So it's just kind of this this kind of pent-up curiosity and, and wonder. And I think it's added by the fact that n- none of those fans have been at this rivalry game in two years, uh, like Graham mentioned. And we're all just kind of like waiting for it to get here to see what it looks like when it arrives. So you've got college game day, you've got the big noon kickoff. And – that's just kind of the, the vibe I got from a lot of um, – I see from fans, but also I, I just noticed that kind of from players and, and coaches where they're, they're kind of – they're not ready to proclaim what they are yet. They want to see what they are. And one thing that I – you know, I never really like the questions about, you know, how do you block out the noise? Uh, I think they get so overplayed in a week like this. What I loved is when Connor Hayward was asked about that, and he's like, why would we block out the noise when we didn't have any noise last year and it was miserable? And this year we've got – college game day and big noon kickoff and we got full stands and we're the home team like we should want the noise and i think that's what people got to get used to having noise again and that's college game day that's big noon kickoff that's having fans in the stands and that's having real teams out there that you can actually cheer for and be excited for um i just think people are are easing back into that the same way that our whole world is easing back into so many things coming off the pandemic so i'm really interested just to see what the the pregame energy and then what the energy on the field is the second we get out there Graham, in your column that you wrote that published on Tuesday, you talked a lot, a lot about how this game, while it's a big game, there have certainly been other, you felt like, games that were of similar importance to to this one, especially you know going back a number of years here. Uh, do you think some of the the implications for this game are, are overplayed a little bit? Because, I, I mean, I think this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, six versus seven, as uh, Chris said, this is the first time they've both been in the top ten in uh, 40, 50 years, and... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the top 10 thing is is a little bit on the pollsters. I mean, ninety the, both teams in 99 might have been better than these two teams. Yeah. And the fact that Michigan State wasn't in the top 10 is another reason maybe we don't have early season polls. I mean, that team had like seven NFL draft picks and Burris and Julian Peterson and, you know, Robert Smith. I mean, that was a ferocious team. But And that was also the undefeated matchup, right? And, and they were the last unbeaten matchup. Uh, you know, in terms of a micro perspective, when you look at these two and what this it means for this season, yeah, it's it's a huge consequential game because it keeps it puts you in a you know a shot for the you know are you in the discussion for the Big Ten championship? Although if either one of these teams upset Ohio State, that could still be in, in play for them. The, the problem is, I think two things make it not the biggest ever. One, it's not really for both sides. I think there's a lot more to lose for Michigan here than there is for Michigan State. That what would be lost for Michigan State is sort of the opportunity to really, you know. Got grab a grip on the rivalry 10 times in 14 years. Mel Tucker 2-0. and 
you know, Harbaugh now with a, another loss to Michigan State heading into Ohio State game, which looks ominous. I mean, like, I think for Michigan State, it would be the lost opportunity. For Michigan, I do think that, and, and I don't know what in terms of job status, they've, they've already cut Harbaugh's salary, and, and they're not an overly reactionary school compared to some places like Texas Tech, which fired their coach before their big games in the middle of year three. So Michigan's not not that. But I do think that for Michigan, there's more to say. It's year seven. And for them, this is up there with the biggest games. For Michigan State, there have been moments in the past, 99 being one of them, where they were building under Saban, and they needed a takedown of a Michigan program very much in its prime, and they got it. And, it, you know, obviously, then they lost to Purdue the next week, where Michigan State plays this year. And then they lost their coach to LSU. And, and so there are some parallels, maybe. But, you know, there, there have been other years for both teams where I think 2013 for Michigan State, the way that season was going, who that team was, they had to do what they did, that demolition. I, I think there have been more pressure on Michigan State in their other years. And, and, as, and as, as a program, losing to Michigan here, if it's a competitive game, does it really set Mel Tucker back? Like, So, in, in other words, for me, just big picture perspective, I don't know that this is ultimately the biggest stakes game of all time. Um, it's certainly 7-0, and though, adds to it. And, it, and it's up there because I think um, neither team feels like it has an advantage on the other right now. I think, you know, the 97 game, too, um, mm -hmm. is one that kind of gets lost uh, because Michigan State was supposed to come into that game unbeaten, lost the week before, and then everything fell apart from there. And I, I believe they ended up uh, somewhere in around the 500 range. But, you know, the, 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 the midpoint of the season, that's always a concern, you know, particularly with both of these teams have such tough schedules on the back half. No, and to what Chris said, 97, I, you know, that was – that was more similar to this in some ways than 99, right? There was this sort of, wait a sec, are these two teams going to be unbeaten? And Michigan State loses to Northwestern the week before. And then that Michigan team wound up being very, very, very good. They obviously yeah. split a national title with Nebraska. but um, And that was, that was a noon start, and it didn't, it didn't go well for MSU. It was like 24-7 or something. Like, still, I don't, the greatest, still the greatest single play I've ever seen on a college football field in person was Charles the Wilson. interception. Yeah. Yeah, second, no, was, close second was close second was Michael Vick at, at West Virginia just doing Michael Vick things in '99. So yes, and that was a big game for Michigan in the sense that Michigan State's program thought it was on the rise for both teams really, and and then Michigan put them in their place and then went on to win a national title. And I think so. There have been other games where the stakes are really high. I think we get to be prisoners of the moment sometimes, um, but this is certainly up there. The one I think about was just the last time these teams were both in a really nice place, which was 2015, you know, the game that everyone will remember. But what stands out to me in that one is that felt like when, when Michigan was lining up to punt that ball away and everyone thought the game was over, it was looking like, you know, here's Jim Harbaugh coming. He's, you know, he's arrived at Michigan. He was going to, you know, win and get his team into the top 10 and beat the rival, which Michigan was never doing at that point. And they, they had this moment right there where they could have won that game and then there would have been questions of, you know, is Michigan going to kind of kind of level up to Ohio State? Or are they going to be that that number two that Michigan State has been? And then obviously on one play from Jalen Watts-Jackson, turn that around. And ever since then, Michigan, you know, they've gone back and forth with Michigan State and they beat Michigan State when they're down. But they pretty much don't beat Michigan State when they're up anymore. I mean, I'm trying to think the last time they've beaten a good Michigan State team. You, you, you probably know that more than I do, Graham, but it's it's got it's obviously before 2015 yeah i mean the record when the, the, the when the record when michigan state is, wins eight games in a season is like 19 and 3 for msu in this matchup so it's not uh it doesn't it is not now some of that's 
not Michigan's fault, but but it does speak to when they're both good. Michigan State has won uh, has won more often. Uh, you know, it's it's a good question. When the last time Michigan State was a uh, Chris, can you think of that? Was a really good team and oh, yeah. um, and lost to and lost to uh, you know another one. You talk about stakes. We're talking about you know. I don't want to spend the whole time going historical on people. We want to talk about this matchup. Although I don't know what else. I mean, at this point, people are nervous. I had somebody tweet at me today said I just can't read the article, man. I'm too, I'm too nervous. <laughs> like you know, people are in a place like I just can't can't do it. But 2012. Chris at the big house and D'Antonio kind of taken a hold of things. And it was not, it was like a 12, 10 final score. Michigan state struggled that year offensively, but I have never heard an exhale like that in a stadium. Like, yes. like there was relief at Michigan to get that win, even though neither team was great. It was like this, this rivalry is spiraling. Michigan state has won a couple, uh, you know, or a three, four, four in a row, I think at that point. And it was like, you know, what is, or what is going on here? And so I think there have been, um, or three or four, whatever it was, but um, I, there have been yeah. other moments that were big. You know, I mean, you, you think about it. When were they last both good? I mean, you know, it, there, there aren't a lot of times in history. I mean, not history's kind of ebbed and flowed for these yeah. programs. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you maybe look back to that 99 game, like you said, uh, they were both really good at that year. Um you know, the 97 Michigan State team ended up not being as good as it was at that moment. Um, you know, that was one. Uh, boy, Late 80s? Yeah. I mean, you know, even 87 maybe. You know, when, when Michigan State, I think, was unranked, but they ended up winning the Big Ten and going to the Rose Bowl. But partly due to their schedule that year, there haven't been a lot of those kind of games. There haven't been a lot of games years where they're both – kind of right there uh, hunting for either a Big Ten title or something bigger. And I I do think, and this is something that that I was talking about earlier today. um, With his kids, by the way, with his his, his young twins. This is a conversation Chris was having. We had a conversation (laughs) as as they were uh, wiping their snot all over my sleeve. Um, The fact that, that the way Mel Tucker assembled this team through the transfer portal. One of the things that Michigan State has always battled in is the recruiting element with their backyard, with Michigan, with Ohio State, with Notre Dame. Uh, you know, some other programs lately have kind of jumped in there, but those have been the three that have really kind of fought for the talent in in both the state and in the region. One thing that we're seeing right now, and I think that's why you see the ebbs and flows of some of these rivalries where one team is better than the other. The transfer portal offers an option outside of that, outside of that traditional realm, to me, that can make football, the the football rivalry become a little more like what John Beeline and Tom Izzo have done in basketball in that, and Tom Izzo was talking about this on Tuesday, a little bit, just how the rivalry when he started, you know, the Fab Five were the 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 thing, and in, when he was head coach, and they struggled early in the rivalry. Then Michigan State really overtook it, and it wasn't much of a rivalry. But really, when Beeline came in, they were fighting tooth and nail because they had such divergent styles. And I'm wondering if the portal doesn't end up kind of giving Michigan State a way to break from those other three programs 
and still establish themselves as a as a perennial top 10 team if you have the right coach you can assess it like Tucker seems to be able to do yeah the key with with that kind of thing I think is is the leadership at the top and the finding a way to mend the culture and the uh, you know, culture with the talent that you're bringing in because um, one of the things that Michigan has run into trouble with in recent years I think is that they've got away in recruiting from their traditional roots of Ohio and they've gone to you know like the Northeast and the New England states and they've found some decent players that way but they come in and they're like Ohio State is nothing more to them than you know another ranked team on the schedule and they never level up in that game and so that's just one of the small elements that that can come into play when you go to transfers and it's not guys who've been here who've who've kind of come up and, and understood how big the the Michigan rivalry is and that's why it's interesting just to hear about you know Mel Tucker talking to his team about you know the history of this game and and you know how far it goes back he's kind of catching a lot of these guys up because I mean, this is the first big game on the schedule for guys like Kenneth Walker, but they didn't, you know, they weren't here last year in that, in that game. They don't know what that felt like to beat them. They don't, they weren't here two years ago when, you know, when they felt like what it was like to lose to that team either. So um, I think it'll be fine this week because they're both undefeated. It's obviously, it's easy to get jacked up for that kind of game, but just over time, it'll be interesting to see how he kind of blends transfers year by year into this culture of where Michigan is the big game every year. You know, one thing you brought up, the, the, the Izzo conversation, and, and it reminds me of, and this is one other reason this game is big, is uh, Izzo conversation. I think you were, I can't remember if you were around for this, uh, Chris, or not, but it was one of those little powwows around Izzo post-practice sort of deal. Um, and he was asked about how long it took him to turn the rivalry against Michigan for him, basketball. And he said 10 years, 10 years before minds have really changed, that this is an even rivalry. And, and so I asked about football and what he thought it would ch- take and because he thought it was long. And he said 15 years. And this would be 10 wins. Now, D'Antonio is 15 years out now, the beginning of D'Antonio. But, but really, the last 14 years is 10 wins in 14 years if Michigan State wins this. And so you do start to get to a point and you start to look at the overall record over time where it's 11 and 11 right now since 99, right? You look at the time since Michigan State's joined the Big Ten, it's 28, 38, and 2. And, like, that's not – this massive lopsided number that you think. And all of a sudden you go, oh, wait a second. And, and then, you, you know, you get a year like this where Michigan's having a 7-0 year, but you can tell their fan base is uneasy about it. And they're not sure about what Mel Tucker is going to do. with me. Like, I think really the, the – and it'll happen organically. Like, you can't force it. You can't – we can't write something that proclaims it. It just happens because it's in hearts and minds, so to speak. But I think one thing a Michigan State win this year could do is, is – because Tucker has sort of continued what D'Antonio had done in that rivalry and would have, and he's recruiting it in a different way. And I think that's where Michigan folks are a little, little scared. And the LSU thing's a separate, separate issue that could all, could all end quickly. But I I think, um, I think you get closer to the idea that the way this rivalry is viewed throughout the state, through the hearts and minds of Michigan fans throughout Michigan is is much more uh, equal and uh, unequal footing. Also, I think there's this idea that Mark D'Antonio was just this outlier coach for Michigan State who came in and finally, you know, got them to a higher level, sustained it for a while and, and beat Michigan. And once he was gone in the first year, Mel Tucker goes two and five and yeah, he beat Michigan. But, you know, I think a lot of questions were about like, well, what's the sustainability of Michigan State's program? And this is this season has been kind of validating for that and also beating 
Michigan, you know, in a game with this high of stakes can also be validating for that. Um, but the reason I bring up the, the 2015 game is that was the time when I felt like the pressure was on Michigan State to hold this this new run from Jim Harbaugh coming in and trying to steal the mantle. Right now it's kind of the other way around where it's like, well, Tucker's only in year two here. And like you said, Graham, if Michigan State loses this, it's not like there's some big referendum on Mel Tucker in this program. I mean, it's only his second year building this entire roster from scratch. But if Michigan loses this, if they again, you know, go down, especially if they, um, you know, it, it, especially if it's not that close and it's pretty obvious, well, if you can't, you know, really contend with Michigan State, you're not going to contend with Ohio State. That's where questions get even louder for Jim Harbaugh of like, well, where is this ultimately going to go? This seems like the best version of what you can be. And yet, is it still good enough to beat rivals when they're good? Um, so they've got way more pressure in this game, I think, from a from a big picture standpoint than Michigan State does. Talked a little bit about the the fan uneasiness a little bit in both of their, their teams being 7-0 and maybe not being quite sure how good they are. And I've sort of touched upon this in the past couple podcasts, but uh, just meant, just you know briefly mentioning college football playoff type implications. But, I mean, we haven't seen any of that from anybody anywhere, really. And I, maybe it is because of that uneasiness. I'm not quite being sure how good those teams are. Or is it just... Ohio State has just beaten everybody into submission, and it's just like nothing nothing else matters besides because Ohio State's just going to come in and stomp all over everybody like they have for the past six or seven years. That loss to Oregon kind of gets gets forgotten with what Ohio State's doing to teams right now, and yep. it should because I think they're playing. I mean, you're breaking in a new quarterback, and now at this point you're not breaking in a new quarterback anymore, and both of these programs have Ohio State coming up. Uh, the schedule's not – advantageous for either of them in the back end um and i think that's part of it i think fans understand that and you know give give fans from both sides credit and you know people that they're savvy enough to look out and realize this is kind of a pivotal point and i think that's that's also another contributing factor to the the amplification of the rivalry this year is you know someone's going to have a chance to go to to play ohio state with something significant on the line. And uh, th- this is kind of a pivot point for them. And, and so to Chris's point there, too, like if you, you know, if Michigan State, say, loses to Purdue after beating Michigan, the bottom line is in the standings, if they were also to beat Ohio State, like when you, if you win this game, the chances when you play Ohio State of you beating Ohio State to go to the Big Ten championship game, of having that on the line, I'm not saying of beating Ohio State are good. I'm just saying, of that being on the line are really, really high because you can even lose a game and that would be would be your tiebreaker. The other thing is if you win this game and, you know, we, we talk about the place like Michigan, where Michigan State is, and even for Michigan, the chances that you're going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl and playing in one of those, maybe the Rose Bowl, that even, you know, it isn't a, a playoff. But if Michigan State fans this year got to go back to the Rose Bowl and felt that warmth that they did, you know, in 2013, like that would be just mammoth. I mean, for where the program, so I think there's, there is a lot at stake, even in that 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 next tier of of opportunity. Because I, they, the thing I wrote today is it does feel a little bit like a late 1980s, early 90s AFC Championship game. It's like you know this is this is the Broncos here, uh, going going against somebody, and, and the NFC opponent is is still you know is just going to beat the snot out of them. And so I, I I do, but I think people understand, and I and I also think though that we've seen Ohio State get beat. We've seen their defense look you know, flawed. And so the question really for both these teams, when they play a good team, like the other team is that they're facing this week is, 
what do those what do those offenses look like? Because part of beating Ohio State to be or having any kind of shot is the ability to keep pace and the ability to cause some problems and put stress on them. You know what happens to Ohio State if they get in a close game again, right? And, and what is there when they make them deal with some pressure? And I'm not sure either t- these teams can do that. But if 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 one of these teams comes out this week and shows a growth and an ability to put up 35 points on the other and and really do what they do best, whether it's Michigan running the ball and, and, and having that or Michigan State's passing game and, 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 and sort of the explosive plays and all that, all of a sudden you go, well, that, that could be interesting. Let's, let's at least see what, what happens. And I think that's another thing that could, could come out of this week. That, that's kind of where I was at with saying one of these teams feels like they could be exposed here. Because I do think either of these teams have a chance to to really take apart the other as much as I think that it can be a close game. I mean, they've shown flashes, but again, we haven't seen it against quality of opponent. That's that's something that we're going to see this week. Yeah, I'm just so curious to see how the styles mesh in this game. Graham, you're just touching on it, but the idea that like these teams are building in very different ways. Michigan is this old school style Big Ten team that I mean, last week against Northwestern, they had a 15-play, 55-yard drive down to the two-yard line and then kicked a field goal. Like it, It's like Jim Harbaugh is just trying to like salute to the ghost of the Big Ten past with a drive like that. And yet Michigan State, you know, they're, they're all about trying to generate these explosive plays, and they wanted these receivers and skill players like Kenneth Walker to believe, like, when you come here, we'll spotlight you. We'll, we'll try and build an All-American campaign. We are about certain individual stars that kind of help – elevate the collective group of this team and that that idea is much more the way that ohio state has been trying to build is like we want to be that one big 10 team that doesn't do it like historical norms we want to build more toward you know that that highest ceiling in college football which is the kind of explosive offenses with with these amazing skill players and and vertical passing attacks and and michigan part of its necessity because they lost ronnie bell so it's just the reality of their team their two best players are their running backs but it's just it also goes back for a while now where Michigan has gone so long with a, without a quarterback who even throws 20 touchdown passes in a season. This is just kind of is what they are. And it's right now been a, about the best version we've seen of what Michigan football has been trying to build. when you add in the defense, whereas Michigan State so far, now this is exactly what Tucker wanted coming from the NFL, seeing um, the stresses that those offenses put on defense is what he wanted to build here through the transfer portal in recruiting, and it's come together faster than I think anyone anticipated. But this is the first game where it's really all on the line against an elite defense and a top 10 team. And if they can go out and if that style works and wins in a game, I think it creates a lot of momentum for this program and the vision he's trying to build. It, it really comes back to Thorne, too. I think that, you know, someone asked me earlier today, um, who's the bigger surprise between him and Walker? And I think. Thorne, I think, is a bigger surprise in a lot of ways, but also probably why things are accelerated. Because I don't necessarily know that that Tucker and his staff came in knowing that they would have had an internal option at quarterback to play at this level. Now, again, difference in competition coming up in the next few weeks, they're going to really kind of show some things. But but I, I think that if you – I mean, you've got to have that quarterback, as we've seen at all levels of football – um, not just historically, but right now in this moment where the passing game is such a vital thing. Um, and Thorne Thorn has really shown himself to be able to put balls in, in really tight windows. And, you know, I, I keep going back to the couple throws he made the last two weeks 
you know, to to Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor, where he's dropping them into their bread basket. They're not even moving their arms. Their arms are at their waist on the over the shoulder fade, and it's right in their 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 pocket. I mean, it's that's that's NFL style throws that even Michigan State hasn't had that kind of quarterback play in a while. And, and the other thing about Thorne, and I think gives Michigan State a potential raised ceiling this year. Like you're only going to improve so much as a team, and usually. In some ways, you get worse because you get more beat up, right? You lose a key guy here or there. But the, the, the thing about Thorne is I do believe he's growing, right? He's your young quarterback who, like, listening to him at Indiana describe why the interception happened in the end zone. You you come away with that going, well, that's not going to happen again because he knew where he should have gone, what actually happened on the other side, why he was late getting over there and why the throw didn't work. He knew everything that happened. Like it, there are a lot of quarterbacks that just, oh, I didn't make a great throw or, or I, you know, I didn't see, you know, he, he, he can, I mean, there's a sophistication in his mind playing the position along with um, the, the, the accuracy that I think is a real trait that like uh, Brian Lewerke didn't have as a strength. Now that said, we've also seen him struggle when things have been taken away in the run game and their ability to, to, to control the line of scrimmage. But that's most quarterbacks. So the question is for him, and this is why I think they have it, can he get to the point this season, I think he might in his career, where when the other things aren't there, he and that passing game are able to do some things. And, and look, Michigan's probably going to play off them a little bit and make them be patient underneath, and that's not what Mich- Michigan State wants to take some shot, deep shots, and that may be a harder thing to do. But can he win that sort of game? Can he be really accurate and patient and good? And And, and I think, you know, we don't know what he'll grow into by the end of the year. It may he may be what he is most of the rest of the year like this, and then Michigan State ceiling is probably about where it is. But I think that's what if you're looking for hope as a Michigan State fan that there is more to this team than than you've seen, or if you're a Michigan fan that's a little nervous about that's the that's the area. Does, does he have a game? Does he have a moment um, that that maybe we haven't seen against really good competition? And I think that's p- potentially uh, out there at some point. Well, I think Michigan fans have to hope that they play these receivers off because last year all they wanted to do was play press man coverage, and all of a sudden Ricky White comes out of nowhere and has, you know, a historic performance, and that's kind of that exact approach is what downed Michigan's entire season. So if they want to play in the face of Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor and just put cornerbacks on islands, then they can, you know, they'll just lose another game uh, in this rivalry. But no, I they, they've taken a much different approach this year under their new defensive coordinator. Uh, Mike McDonald, and and I don't expect that at all. And, Graham, the one other thing I agree with you about, Peyton Thorne's growth is going to determine the ceiling of this team. And the other thing that I keep thinking about is just the collective growth of the defense because I think that's where coaches make their hay in college football is how do you kind of develop a defense over the course of several weeks long? Um, Because defense is hard to play these days. It's it's reactive, and offenses are getting better and more um, creative, and and that's where more skilled players are going into. But – um, if you're really shooting for the ceiling, if you look at kind of the, the marquee programs in college football, they get better on defense. Last year, Alabama was horrible to start the year on defense. And they end the year as a national champion. Same thing the year before with LSU. And Ohio State's starting to show this now where they looked just completely incapable on defense early in the year, and they're getting a lot better. So Michigan State, I think there have been some strides for them in that area, but we don't really know because the offenses they've played, I mean, Indiana, Rutgers, teams like that, that is that is no kind of test for 
um, the growth really of a defense. So this will be one step of that, at least in the run defense. And then in future weeks, certainly when they eventually play Ohio State and probably with Penn State, we'll get to see kind of this the secondary, just the collective ability to limit a passing game, which, you know, they got really pushed by Western Kentucky in a game that just it, we didn't notice it as much because of how many points their offense put up and they had a punt return touchdown. But um, that still is out there for me is how do they kind of handle an elite passing game? But we're not going to see that test this week because that's just not how Michigan plays. So here's a question for you guys. Like when I look at the, one of the things I, I, I really intrigue, I mean, there are some matchups that are intriguing, but Michigan's offensive line, which has been very good, uh, I think part of the strength of this MSU defense, not entirely surprisingly, but to the level in which it's been and the depth it's been is its interior defensive line. Like I think that's been a, that's a really good group and they're, they're deep there. And I, I'm that, that to me is going to determine, I mean, I mean, obviously how Crouch and, and, and Halliday play behind them. And obviously the, the safeties, I think are the best thing about the defense in a lot of ways. And they've tackled space, but, but that like, that's the thing we really don't know is, can Michigan State have a day there where they're not getting pushed around and all of a sudden Michigan's bread and butter this year isn't working? I mean, that's really what gives – that's why if you told me right now, like this was a, a game of nine overtimes, I'd believe you. Maybe not the same nine overtimes that we just, just watched. but um, Or if you told not. me that this was a game with either team won by three touchdowns, I could believe you because if one of them can take away what the other wants to do, and we've seen defenses take away Michigan State's best offense and then be able to do what it wants to do. I, you could sell me on this game getting away from one of these teams. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think Jacob Slate is just having a fantastic season, and he's the kind of guy that you need in a game like this where you know Michigan's going to be old school. They're going to run a lot of power. They're going to run up the, you know, run up the middle, and they're just going to run when you know they're going to run. And Jacob Slate has just had a, found a way to not only make enough plays, but he just kind of directs. Uh, where a lot of these plays are going to go. He's making life a lot easier on those linebackers. And and this does feel like a Michigan State defense that that is able to really limit the run and force teams to throw. And that has worked against like teams like Indiana and Rutgers, which aren't built to win that way. Michigan so far has not looked like they're built to win that way without Ronnie Bell and with Cade McNamara just kind of surviving at the quarterback position. So if they can get Michigan more in that spot this week where you've got to try and answer Michigan State's offense in your run game, is not producing in a way that gets you third and less than five. Um, that's the best spot for Michigan State to try to get into this week. As good as the defensive line has been, because um, I think Slade has been really good, but I think Jacob Panashuk needs to put more pressure on in this game uh, without question. Uh, I, I think to me, for Michigan State's defense, the X factor in stopping them is Quaveris Crouch, simply because Crouch has been out of position at times that have led to big plays, you know, whether it be the touchdown pass uh, over pass over the middle at Northwestern, uh, a couple other run plays there. Um, we saw it at Indiana where he got out of, out of assignment and, and there were, there were big plays that would be made. And you do that against Michigan's offense. Those, those big plays can be bigger plays, um, which this, the one thing this defense has done is limit those big plays. In a rivalry game, uh, particularly one where where you want to minimize the the I mean, for as good as the offense has been, they've taken away the big plays on the other side. You can't afford to do that in a rivalry game. And I think it to me it starts with Crouch because you know you, if you're going to move the safeties up, like if you're going to move Henderson up, 
uh, you got to have that gap responsibility on the linebackers because there's one less guy behind you to help. This is a game that's really going to test the kind of conditioning and collective strength of this Michigan State team. I know we talked so much after the Miami game where that, you know, all, all the work they did in the offseason with the nutritionist and um, in their strength program paid off that week. I think it's going to be even more vital in this game because Michigan's offense is built to just wear you down and break you. They do not look very good in the first half of games, but by the second half, they get rolling and you just can't really handle it. They've got that, that's what having two backs can do for a team. Uh, it's kind of like what, you know, the Browns often do. Um, including against the Steelers in the wild card playoff game. Sorry, Chris, just had to had to bring that up for a second. But um, when you can bring in a fresh back all the time and just like the defense is gasped and they need to stop and all of a sudden this guy comes in who's almost as good as your starting back and just slam him into those linebackers and make you chase him all over the field, you know, that that has worked against most teams. It's going to really stress uh, Michigan State defense that's built to allow long drives and lots of plays and there's they're meant to be on the field a lot but now they're going to be on the field a lot against players who are in the case of the backs fresher than they are well they aren't they want to get off the field on third down by the way the Steeler fan in me uh says what's a run game but that's a whole other thing um no I I think that's that's got to be something that had to have been worked on in the bye week you got to be able to get off the field in a game like this on third down because every third down conversion, particularly the third and longs that Michigan State has been given up, that's momentum on the road in a rivalry game for Michigan. That's 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 something that puts the crowd on edge, and, and players and, and coaches can sense that. Um, you need to minimize that if you're Michigan State. You need to get off the field on third down, uh, almost as probably more than forcing turnovers in this game. You know, as, as good as it is to force the turnovers. Um, and there wasn't a turnover last year. No, neither team turned the ball over, which is amazing. It rarely happens in this this kind of a rivalry. Uh, that's why the third down stops are, are big for this defense. You you got to be set up advantageous field position for your offense. Yeah, the way Michigan plays, a punt is forcing a turnover. I mean, Cade McNamara's throwing one pick. They they pretty much designed a passing game to just limit bad plays that's yeah. all they want out of it is just limit bad plays when you have to convert a third and five let's hope we do it but uh that's why these backs are fascinating to me blake corum and and, and hassan haskins because they're so different too blake corum's more your your you know speed-based back who's going to come out and and try and get the explosive plays and hassan haskins is the guy who runs when you know they're going to run and yet he's just kind of fresh and he's so physical and he's going to wear you down when you're already worn down they both have you know, they Corum has 729 yards, Haskins is 602, and they both have 10 touchdowns, but Corum's averaging a yard and a half more. But they're just as effective because Haskins' job is to, you know, get three yards when it's really hard to get three yards. And so anytime you can get them off the field when they're playing that brand of football, to me, it counts almost just as much as a turnover. Yeah, I do kind of wonder if we'll see Michigan State adjust its defensive philosophy a little bit, whether it's maybe bringing in a third linebacker or playing, you know, whatever, you know, defensive back is, is like the Rover, whether it's Michael Dowell or, or, or somebody else, you know, coming in and playing closer to the line of scrimmage than normal. And then maybe we might see Michigan do what Michigan State did last year, then going over the top, trying to win a couple plays over the top. But, uh, you know, it's those X's and O's games that are really going to, you know, prove vital uh, in, in this game this weekend. Well, and the other thing is if Michigan struggles to move the ball for whatever reason – is there a, a move away from McNamara to McCarthy, right? And that's – I think most Michigan State fans are hoping not. Like, they want Michigan 
to struggle, but not enough that they make a move at quarterback. <laughs> it's, it's one of those, you got to thread a needle here where there's just enough hope that they don't make that move. Yeah, that was one of those things I was going to mention earlier. It's like if Michigan State's defense can get them in a position where they're rotating the quarterbacks, I mean, that's a, that feels like a, honestly, it feels like a win for the Spartans, not. Not, not the other way around, but uh. yeah, I still, I still, I, I said this going to the Nebraska game for for Michigan. Yeah, I wonder at some point if if they don't try and 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 change things up and throw McCarthy in there just to throw a team off. But I think that you know what, coaches are savvy enough to realize that there's a difference in those two, those two guys between McNamara and McCarthy that they're they're going to have to have time and practice on both of them. Because they know they're gonna at minimum split time, maybe maybe get the switcheroo. Yeah, there are a lot of Michigan fans that are wondering why they're not playing JJ McCarthy uh, with with Cade McNamara not really doing much of anything impressive. But I think it just goes to deeper issues in the Michigan passing game. Is it's almost it's less about is McCarthy ready for uh, to play right now. It's more is this Michigan passing game ready for JJ McCarthy? And when you're, I mean, their leading receiver in terms of catches is Blake Corum out of the backfield. Like, this is just not a team that's built to elevate a young quarterback. Uh, and it's hard to be a true freshman. It's hard to be a freshman in general in college football. It took C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, several weeks with the best receivers in the nation. So now you're going to throw in a true freshman quarterback um, with these kind of receivers. But that said, if they're down and they have to do that, that's maybe what they do. And the one thing McCarthy brings that's different is he's an athlete, and he has really made some nice plays and in short moments, it's more kind of splash plays and things they wrinkles they throw in, but he can make some things happen with his legs. And there's a chance where that starts to mesh um, if they get creative in the run game with the two backs they have. It's one more thing you have to to account for, but it's just like Chris said, it takes practice time. And how many reps is he getting in practice right now with the ones in order to build that? I I have my doubts. You know, we spent some time earlier in this podcast, you know, buttering up Peyton Thorne and, and his gradual improvement this season. But speaking about the Michigan State offense overall and, and in general, are are should we be concerned? Are we concerned about it a little bit? I mean, they really had their struggles against Indiana. They a really bad second half against Nebraska. You know, even even the Rutgers game, there was a little bit of sputtering here and there. Uh, a lot, yeah. I was. I mean, they ended up scoring like thirty one points. So I was trying to be a little more judicious about the Rutgers game, but. Uh, I think I'll, I'll, like 201 yards and 94 of them were on Kenneth Walker's touchdown run. Yeah. I so. mean, it, it, they haven't played a second half since the Miami game. And the Indiana game was a full game of what you saw in the second half against Western Kentucky, Indiana, or Rutgers, and, and Nebraska. So, I mean, it, it, it isn't concerned. And, and I think all the players have spoke to that concern as well. Um, you know, you have to have sustained production. I mean, you can't. And that's and that's partly, you know, the, the differing philosophies here, right? Michigan can can grind out those 15-play, 55-yard drives. Uh, Michigan State hasn't shown the ability to really do that. Um, there's been a lot of quick strike drives, and you see the time of possession different disparity between Michigan State's offense and its defense. Uh, that A lot of that's because of that, that, that those big play point totals. So, I mean, you have to – not be so feast or famine. You have to have a sustained approach on offense. I mean, the the end numbers come out balanced, but is it a full game of balance? That's something that I I don't know if we've seen from Michigan State. You haven't seen the ability to to have those possession drives that kind of take the air out of a clock and take the air out of a defense. That's definitely my concern with them because right now what we're seeing is Jay Johnson has a great feel for the skilled players he has, and he draws up a great game 
plan coming into it, the script, which is the first, you know, third of the game or so, uh, of drawn up plays for Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed and Kenneth Walker and, and things that put Peyton Thorne in advantageous positions. But, you know, once that runs out and you're, you're trying to win on a consistent basis with your drop back passing game, that's where Michigan State has had some issues when they've had to go convert a third and six and teams are playing um, them off a little bit at the at the receiver level. And so that's where I wonder with the bye, how much the bye week is going to help because, number one, it's going to make this offensive line a little bit more fresh, and they've got to win the battle up there a little more than they have against Indiana and Nebraska. Uh, but number two also, what does it help uh, you know, just advance the knowledge of certain players still kind of learning like Peyton Thorne and also like Connor Hayward, who you know has flashed and had some nice moments but has also had a few drops and he's still learning a new position. I think this is a big, big Connor Hayward game to be the kind of guy who – can convert a third and five who can who can bridge the gap between an offense that goes three and out and the one that can score on a 94 yard play those those kind of intermediate uh singles type uh production and, and that's a guy i look a lot to connor hayward because of the career he's had and, and just how much he's worn this rivalry as we talk about the transfers and they're catching all these players up to what this rivalry is i think connor hayward's going to embody um, the leadership of this group to kind of kind of will them into a position where they're playing their best game on offense or, or the other thing is over the middle. I mean, in particular, we talked about that being something that Michigan State hasn't used. I mean, it could be a game, you know, it, it, who's the next Ricky White, too? I mean, do you use someone like Terry Lockett or Montori Foster on drag routes over the middle to change that up? Does Malik Carr get healthy and, and become an impact player in a game like this? You just, you know, you don't know because there are there are guys that they, they like and haven't really used a lot. Uh, like, I mean, I think what Ricky White was a true freshman with one catch for five yards against Rutgers and all of a sudden has a record setting day uh, a week later against Michigan. You know, I think one thing that you, you've seen him go with basically three receivers um, with with Reed, Naylor and Mosley. Uh, you occasionally seen a couple of those guys that they still are really high on, um, you know, the Foster, Montori Foster and, and Christian Fitzpatrick. We haven't seen a lot of. Uh, since his transfer. So they're, they're, they've got some other guys that they haven't really used. You know, do you have one of those kind of guys that can be the middle guy? You know, because as much as as much as Connor Hayward and, and Tyler Hunt ha- have been, you know, solid in their roles, they haven't been dynamic. You know, do you have another dynamic guy to make those plays? And, you know, maybe a, maybe a guy like even Malik Carr, who I think at some point will be a player. You know, you're, I think you're right. The, the, the thing we don't know is, is there another dude that they're ready to sort of say this guy is ready and we're going to give him a shot on the stage? And it's a big stage, so you got to be kind of sure about that guy a little bit. Harold Joyner. Harold Joyner is another yeah. guy just like Malik Carr that we haven't seen a lot of but has the athletic talent to have a breakout. Yeah. And you've had two weeks to kind of come up with some kind of wrinkle like that. So this right. is really going to test the coaches of what what else can you throw at Michigan that's not out there on film? Because right now, what out, what's out there on film is you got these two star wide receivers, you got a star running back, and you're great for a half. And then when when you have to kind of grind out a game, you, you kind of struggle with that. So who what are some of the secondary pitches they can add to this offense we haven't seen so far? It's going to be a big test. And they do another flea flicker, and the flea <laughs> flickers now are what three for four. It is part of the offense. I can see things going drastically wrong. But the other thing that's good, they got to work with uh, Kenneth Walker on selling the flea flickers. Yes. Some of his flea flickers are so obvious. Like, no running back has ever carried the ball 
in that situation. Like he, he's like gets it and he's like waiting to turn around. You know, it's like that's not guy. That guy's not. They gotta. Uh, they <laughs> gotta get Kenneth Walker to to, to into acting school a little bit to sell the uh, sell the flea flicker if that's going to keep working for them. Hey, they ran that. Uh, they ran that reverse pass uh, to perfection. You know, anytime you can have Tyler Hunt, you know, throw off his back foot while retreating fifteen yards to to hit Peyton Thorne right in the hands. You know, you've got you've got to do that. That's that's been long <laughs> wondered about. That there was another thing that was kind of quietly mentioned uh, during the the press conference this week with Connor Hayward and Peyton Thorne as well, where where Connor Hayward said something along the lines, well, I'm not a quarterback. Well, actually, you did play some quarterback in high school as well. So, you know, what's the wrinkle maybe you could do with Connor Hayward throwing the ball, right? I mean, it's, it, didn't he throw the ball at Penn State a couple years ago as well? And here's I believe- the thing. Like, if it's, if it's a close game, that sort of thing can make a difference. But ultimately, whether, you know, we're going to – I mean, I think we'll know fairly quickly – what this game's going to look and feel like, you know, I think, you know, we'll, we'll have a sense of, of the, um, you know, what it's going to look like at the line of scrimmage, whether Michigan state can do things, um, you know, in the passing game and the running game that it wants to and same for Michigan. Now, as you guys have pointed out, Michigan's gotten better at, other than the Rutgers game in the second half, often wearing people down and Michigan state's gotten worse. So there is, is that dynamic, but I, I do think we'll have, we'll have, a fair amount of answers and just how competitive and how equal these teams are and, and how interesting this game will be pretty quickly. Yeah. I think we're going to see how close are the gaps in certain areas with the the stars, you know, how, how capable is Michigan of handling Jaden Reed and Jalen Ayler on the outside since obviously they didn't do it at all last year with any receivers they faced, but, and haven't really, I don't think faced the receivers to that level yet to really test that this year, even though they're playing a lot better. And then how does, on the flip side, how does Michigan State handle Aiden Hutchinson coming off the edge? Um, because last year, I remember thinking that they were going to have trouble with Quiddy Pay, who ended up you know, being a being a high draft pick. Um, but the the thing was, Michigan last year under Don Brown did not use defensive ends really to their best strength. They used Quiddy Pay over the center sometimes, and Michigan State really got them on play action. I mean, that was one of a couple of the big throws they made were were getting Quiddy Pay kind of isolated on play action. I don't think that style will work the same way. Um, this year, and also Michigan just really knows how to use Aiden Hutchinson. They move him from left to right, and they just kind of let him go, and they let him win with uh, speed to power. And so that's the kind of player that I think is physically a little bit much for Michigan State at that position. But if they can incorporate the right plan with Connor Hayward, uh, with some of their backs and protections and some of the ways they call plays, uh, will be a big story. If they can't, um, that's where I think Michigan State's in a real uphill battle. So which which of those breaks? Is it Michigan State's receivers dominate or does Aiden Hutchinson dominate? And I think that's going to tell us a lot of who's going to be in control. All right, guys. Well, I think that's a great segue to get to our final segment in every podcast, and that is predictions. So, you know, we spent 50, 55 minutes here, you know, kind of building up uh, to this moment here, talking about what we think is going to happen, how what each team needs to do. So, Graham, how do you see ultimately this game playing out, and who is who has the Paul Bunyan's uh, axe at the end of this game? Yeah, I mean, I've I've struggled with this because um, I, I don't. I mean, I've, I'm like everybody else. If anybody says they know what's going to happen, they're kidding you, right? I mean, unless unless somebody in one of those film rooms on the coaching staff has seen something that says okay, we've got something I don't think they can stop or, or, or we're in good shape here. So I don't really have a great feel. I, I do think the value 
and Vegas is on Michigan State because it's, it's they're a home dog plus four and a half in a game that I think is relatively a toss up. Even if, you know, and so you know, if I were to tell people what to play, I think that's the value around the money line there. The um, but in terms of what how I'll pick this game, I, you know, my hunch is that Michigan wins, and that's just a gut feel. But I, I mean, I can make the argument either way, but I don't have a I, we just don't have evidence. And but what's leading that gut feel, I think, is watching Michigan State's offense against good teams and thinking that now they're facing a team that is not snake bitten like Indiana, not going to beat itself like Nebraska, perhaps the same way. Um, the flip side of that is I can easily make an argument that I don't. I think Michigan's going to have to be able to throw the ball some in this game, and you know, and whether they can do that to to win. Um, but so my my gut, and for whatever it is, and, and I've trusted my gut a lot in life, whether it's eating pizza or consuming, you know, six thousand calories a day, and it's led me to great places. <laughs> um, my gut says Michigan wins, you know, this game and and and, and, a, and a close game, um, but. I don't have a freaking clue. So I'm going to go Michigan. I think it's relatively low scoring. Um, I think it's Michigan like 23, 20. Yeah, I think it's in that range. Um, I'm going to go Michigan state though, 24 to 20. And I've been thinking about this for a while, the way that this game is setting up. And I just think this is the, the first time that Michigan state um, kind of has they're in a nice spot here where they're at home. They're coming off the bye week. And I think the bye week is going to be critical for their coaching staff to find ways to get the ball to their explosive playmakers. And that's the one thing that Michigan cannot answer. They don't have playmakers on the edge and vertical that are going to create the kind of explosion that Michigan state can, not that it's going to happen a lot. Michigan's a really good defense. They're going to, they're going to force um, some three and outs and they're going to make some things tough at the line of scrimmage. But I think that Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor We'll get the ball, and they will they will make some big plays in a way that, you know, it's just one of those situations where where great offensive players beat great defensive players sometimes, and I think that's going to happen in a setting where they're at home, they're coming off the bye week, they've they've kind of drilled this same game plan for a couple weeks. It's really setting up to where, uh, you know, I think Michigan State will will kind of have a. It'll be really interesting if they do pull this out and see how they handle that success. It's going to be a huge test for this team, but. Um, I think they're ultimately going to be able to make enough plays on offense in ways that Michigan with Cade McNamara will not quite answer at the end of the day. So I'll go 24 to 20. Not making a prediction. That's where I'm at right now with this. I think that these two teams are quite evenly matched in some ways. I think there's, like I said earlier, I think there's also as, as, as much of a propensity for this game to go sideways for each of these teams. Um, you know, this is, it's a fascinating matchup. It really is. Um, you know, I, I, I do think I agree with Nate that the, the bye week is important for Michigan state to add wrinkles and make tweaks and, and fix what needs to be fixed. Um, you can't have 12 penalties like you did at Indiana. That has to be erased. You know, you can't throw red zone interceptions like you did at Indiana. That has to be erased. Those kind of things in a rivalry game like this can can come back to bite you even more. You're not playing at Indiana anymore. So, you know, that said, I will make a pick. And, you know, I, I think it's – I don't necessarily agree with both of these guys that it will be that low scoring, but I don't think it gets – either team gets to 30. Someone asked me, is the first team to 17? I'm like, 
No, because I think these teams are going to put it. I, I think I'm going to have Michigan State 27 to 21 with a, an asterisk next to it. By the time you read this in the paper, that could change and go completely different way. Yeah, I'll, I'll say the same thing. What, what happens in my you know five factors and prediction or whatever, I will continue to follow my gut. And like, there's a uh, some leftovers in the fridge right now that my gut is thinking about. And like, so after I, my gut leads me there, where will my gut lead me? I don't know. Um, but I will, I will, I will write whatever my gut says because I, I and I mean analytically, is I there space in the really newspaper tough. for that? What's that? Is there space in the newspaper for what your gut will say? Yeah, <laughs> I just think analytically, this is a really hard piece because we don't have knowledge. A lot of this is sort of gut feel. On, you know, and I think Nate brought up good points. You bring up good points. You can make an argument either way. It's one of those things that should be a great debate class thing because you ought to be able to explain why Michigan State's going to win, why Michigan's going to win, why Michigan State's going to win by two touchdowns, why Michigan's going to win by two touchdowns in a debate class and make a really solid argument and then be able to counter it. Of course, nobody yeah. last year was making a debate that Michigan State was ever going to come close, let alone win that game. Yep. And my predictions, by the way, are, are historically uh, iffy sometimes. Um, I will point out 25 to 14 in 2013, Illinois over Michigan State, which wound up being 42 3 the other before way. Before any of us do. Thank you. Thank you for once pointing it out yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, I, and right before Michigan State played Ohio State in 2015, I remember when, when I found out Connor Cook was out, I said 50 to 2 Buckeyes, the only two coming on a Shalik Calhoun safety. So that's what I know. I think that, I think that may have even been low. I think you may have put that number into the seventies. I thought it was going to be a massive blowout. And what's interesting though is the second we started watching that game, and you started watching the line of scrimmage of that game, you went, "Wait a second. And that's again, that's where I think we'll have evidence early. We'll yep. see it at the line of scrimmage. Um, not who's necessarily going to win, whether, but you know, if, if one side really has a distinct advantage or, whether this thing's going down to the wire and what sort of advantages one team will have. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really close game, but that's just the safe pick. I mean, it wouldn't if either one of these teams won 31 to 17, I would not be surprised. Mm -hmm. It's got that kind of a feel to it and it's just going to be one of those that the the reactions to this game are going to be pretty strong because the team that wins it will feel validated and be like, yeah, this this is working what we've seen all all year and I guess if you lose close, you know, maybe you still say hey, we can have a good season. But if one of these teams really gets gets hammered like that and loses by 14, it's going to feel like, you know what, we played some bad teams and, and here come the good ones. So I am as fascinated by the reactions to this as uh, as anything. And so thank God for a noon game, though. It's a little safer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm picking Michigan State 28-24. So I thought I'd just throw that, in, throw that in there for yeah. just for funsies. I kind of changed my mind. I think I wish it was a night game. Oh, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> wow. That is the biggest revelation of this entire podcast. <laughs> no, I think it would have been awesome to be a night game. But, uh, I mean, from my work perspective, uh, noon is much better. But I, I, would, I, I kind of would like to see just an entire day of East Lansing just being a complete uh, S show and <laughs> seeing what oh, the follow is. I'm not, I'm not sure people could have got to the stadium quite honestly, if it was a late game for many reasons. I think that there, I, I think someone meant, I think uh, Michael Cohen, our, our Michigan beat writer mentioned that they may not have been able to make it into the stadium. There would have been empty seats if a full day like that. And I, I think there would have been just log jams trying to get into the stadium. I'm sure that, you know, the, 
the ability to get into the gates would have been difficult once people show up, you know, three minutes before kickoff. So, um, I, I, won't, I won't mention any names, but I have a friend who once, um, and, and, and I live with her, but um, uh, who <laughs> once got, and when she was in college, Eric got uh, so drunk at a tailgate, she just got an Uber and went home. That stuff happens, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off here? Nate? Uh, been yeah. fun. It's fun being with you guys for the uh, for the past two years. So thanks for having me on a podcast. I mean, it only took till three weeks ago to be on with Graham, and then and then two weeks for Chris. But but Phil, you know, been on with you last year. But now this has been fun, and uh, you know, it's what a way to go out. It's Michigan, Michigan State. It couldn't be better than that. Best yeah, of best luck. Covering, yeah, best of luck covering the Colts. And you know, my hope is that they completely fall apart as soon as you get there, and the fan base blames you for it. <laughs> and and we we will be waiting on some Kari Willis copy so hurry up and get there yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's the top storyline for sure i guess we never said officially but nate, nate will be joining the indianapolis indianapolis star next week to to cover the colts and you'll be, be able to hear him weekly on their cover two podcast yeah this has been good prep though so thank you guys all right thank you for joining us for this edition of spartan speak a production of the lansing state journal detroit free press and the usa today network if you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it please consider subscribing you can follow our coverage at lsj.com freep.com and on twitter at graham underscore couch at chris solari at nate atkins underscore at phil underscore friend and lsj green white thanks for listening Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.